Hi everybody, and welcome to the Golders Podcast, where we aim to sprinkle particles of knowledge by engaging and educating. With your co-hosts, father and son duo, Keith and David Mayer. We're excited to have you on this journey with us, and we know our wide variety of world-class guests will provide lots of value for our listeners. To ensure you stay up to date with everything we've got going on on the podcast, make sure you subscribe. Before we introduce this week's returning guest, we would like to mention our new book, The Lone Wolf, a story about assumptions, authenticity, and action. In life, everybody has different and unique qualities. It is what makes us authentic, but sometimes people make assumptions on others based on what they see as opposed to digging deeper to find out more about the person. Just because somebody may be silent does not mean they do not possess big action. Our 45-page short story is available on Amazon. Now, for the second time, we would like to introduce Michael Beale to the Goldust podcast. As you're all aware, we had Michael on a couple of months back. Uh, The first time was so good, we had to get him back on. This time, however, Mick does go more in-depth around this season's successes at Glasgow Rangers, as well as much more. Hello, Mick. How are you doing? Really well, thanks, mate. Uh, End of a long season, a a really fulfilling one. So, um, yeah, I'm spending some time now with the family and taking it all in, mate. Great. Listen, I know we, this is part two, maybe part three could be coming up around the corner. We we interviewed you initially in November of last Mm -hmm. year and, it went so well, we could not, but uh, invite you back. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure to come back on. I, I enjoyed last time, you know, cashing up with you both and uh, just talking about what we all do every day. So it's not, you know, you're not talking about anything that's new. You're actually talking about what you're living and experiencing every day. So, you know, it's always good, mate. Great. Well, I'm sure you'll add great value again, as you did last time. So, Luke, we, uh, we always start off with uh, an initial question. To us, Goldust is sprinkling particles of knowledge to help people. What does Goldust mean to you, Mick? Uh, I think if you was to say that, you know, that, that coach over there, you know, he has a bit of gold dust, he'd be a bit different to the rest. That, that, that's, that, I think that comes with a feeling when you're talking about gold dust. So I would say it's the ability to, to inspire people to be the, the, at their best or a better version of themselves. And that can be inspiring them in terms of improvement, in terms of their energy, in terms of them changing their mentality um, that helps them or helps someone to better themselves. I think that's what it is. I think that's what I define gold dust as, as, as someone that is, is doing their utmost to help someone move from A to B. Well, speaking of gold dust, Mick, you are fresh off winning the Scottish Premier League with Rangers. So that's just happened. But even maybe a bigger accomplishment than that was actually winning it with an unbeaten record. What what was that experience like in the whole process from start to finish? Well, we came into this season, obviously, off the back of COVID. So there was a lot of things to deal with. We needed to see how the players came back. We had to initially work um, in smaller groups and do the social distancing, which actually we were we were fortunate the way that we work very individual um, in, in terms of unit work, that that fell quite nicely for us. It was also a nice way to come back and work as well, David, because everyone had sat around during COVID and lockdown 
thinking about where they were in life and their goals and their aims. So I felt a lot of things come together this year. And of course, it's a long season. Uh, I have a huge sense of achievement and pride that you know have been part of something that brings happiness to a lot of people. And I think that's what this season was about. Rangers 10 years ago went down to the fourth division and getting back and winning this 55th title was almost like the final step of being back to being Rangers. So for me, it was a deeply personal season in that respect. Um, to go unbeaten is, I think, is to create a legacy. So a lot of teams around the world win leagues, but to win a league unbeaten across 38 games and to have 26 clean sheets in that 38 games, we broke a lot, broke a lot of club, Scottish and European records over the season. So I suppose the two things are a sense of pride but also a sense of, of fulfilment because the fulfilment is for a lot of people that I know that follow this club. You know, I work at this club and, and why I'm here, I do my best for Rangers, of course. But there's other people who family members have gone through generations supporting this club. And that's the overwhelming thing as it sinks in over the days, how much happiness that's brought to people outside of us players and coaches in the club, you know. Well, I think as well, and there's been some great footage. I think you actually, you were the one that posted something over the weekend from the last game, but there was a, there was a video when Steven Gerrard was driving in. And it, it was like the parting of the waves where all the fans are going absolutely nuts. And it, it shows how much it means to them with their celebrations after like you said, 10 years since the, they, got, they got relegated to the fourth division. And now here you are. Well, there's people like Ali McCoyce that was the manager at that time, you know, talking about only having six registered players going into the, you know, the pre-season and the games leading into that first game. And, you know, the fans have followed the club up and down the country. You know, that last season we had 49,000 season ticket holders that have not got in to watch a game this season. Um, and we've already, two weeks into the renewals, we've had 45,000 renew already within 14 days of renewals going out. So this is a club that means a great deal to, to many people. There's been some fantastic scenes. The day that we won the league in March, you know, driving into the stadium that day was simply incredible. Um, and then there's been things like, you know, around the world, the Dubai Supporters Club, you know, they they lit up the Burj Khalifa and you've got other, other things around the world in in terms of things going off in Australia and New Zealand and around Europe, it really is a huge club. So I think at the end of it, you've played your part in there day in, day out. But why are you doing that? It's for this wider fan base. And I do think that's what determines what is a big club um, from, you know, the truly great clubs, is the size of the fan base, what it means to the people that follow. And I think that that's the biggest thing that I get from from this achievement. Um, I think we had a weight of um, responsibility to them people that was weighing down on us. And I'm hoping now with this league title that, that that weight comes off of everybody and now we can really push on as a football club now that we're back to the starting point, if that makes sense. Well, it shows the power of football, Mick. You know, you start mentioning about celebrations that have gone from Scotland and throughout the world and that fan base and the connection that one ball can bring to one family is immense but just going behind the scenes a little bit can you give us a snapshot of what 
what has been implemented over that period of time while she's been there and what has shaped how the playing group train and how they play, what you've done over that three-year period? And I think that, you know, our manager talks about all the time about being a management team. And it really is that, you know, everyone's got a role in the, in the part that they play to, to ensure that the players are in a good, healthy uh, place mentally first as a person. And then every per person and every player that we, we've selected to come on the journey uh, has clarity on their role and they fit what we're looking for. Um, I think then you're talking about a relentless energy and focus from everybody towards the calls. I think we have a really strong bond as a group, as a group of staff, a group of players collaborating together. We enjoy working together. And it's been a really team achievement. We don't have any superstars, you know. We're very much a team and, and we don't look too far ahead. And I think the key is how we've all come together and collaborated to get the best from ourselves as individuals, but ultimately the group. You know, one thing we talk about all the time is being the best version of ourselves. And if we are, that's enough. And, you know, we talk about that every game. I think in terms of uh, the training environment, we try to make it very specific so that every player is working towards improving themselves on their you versus yourself because we believe that feeds into the team. So I think if you, if you learn how to manage the person, um, then you can develop him as a player. And if you, you do them two things, the team improves. I think the, the problem can uh, allow, uh, arrive in team sports when it, the messages are too team, you know, it's the, it's the players that make up the team, isn't it? So it's very important that you fuel that. And that's why I say it's a real management team because it's difficult for one person to do that. And so what Stephen's fantastic is, is allowing uh, three or four others around him to really get their teeth into their job. And then what we try to do is motivate each other to have daily focus. So rather than one of us managing the team, five of us do in our own little way. And I think that's been the biggest thing. When I look to my right and left this year, I'm proud of the people that are around me, um, both players and staff. And um, we've done nothing different this year than the last two years. I think what we should be praised or we should praise ourselves on is the, is the strength of our conviction in terms of the way that we think football should be played. We stayed on it. We continue to re recruit people that fitted um, and and fitted the environment and the playing style and we kept promoting it and promoting clarity and improvement and I think that was it I think you know a happy changer and a happy team is a strong team I believe With that Mick so you talk about all the the positive aspects and I couldn't agree more in terms of the person comes first because you have a you have a happy person, you have somebody that's being pushed and challenged and knows that they cared about, you're likely to get the best out of them. And all of those aspects about you being happy with the people that you're around every day. But when you're working at this elite level, and even this past season, there'll have been times where there were challenges. What what are some of the challenges that you had to overcome? I think working with any team is complex. I think, you know, you have to try and have a common cause that everyone buys into. And then you try to give everyone clarity in, in terms of their role in achieving the targets. The season's long, as we know. So, you know, we played 56 games, you know, 38 in the league, you know, the, the two Scottish Cups, Europa League. 
And there's a lot of unexpected things that can provide bumps in the road, you know, around injury, suspension, weather, confidence issues go up and down, form, refereeing decisions. But they're just the things that you see. There's also a number of other things like personal things that are not always seen on the eye. You know, with COVID, players living in apartments on their own or not being able to travel to see family and, and lots of things that go on. So the challenges are keeping the group mentally stable and healthy and in good form and not too high, not too low. My biggest worry was uh, when the media pick up around the season and go, oh, Rangers have got five more wins to win the league or six more wins to win the league. Early in the season, that was some of the things that I, I was personally concerned with. So really early in the season, we had made some decisions around only looking at the next game and just making sure we focus on one game at a time and not looking too far ahead. So some of the challenges in the season are, you know, it got incredible. We won the season with two months to go. And then it was like, these teams are going to try and stop us uh, going unbeaten. You know, like so you, it has layers to the season all the time, David. There was different challenges that were coming. And the most important and thing that we can do as a staff is how do you water the grass? So you only you have a squad of 24 and everyone's going to play their part over the season because of injury suspensions and losses of form and, and playing against different types of opponents. But how do you keep them all stable 99% of the time? Um, and I think that is the job of a management team to make sure you're getting around your group. It's easy to look at the, the players that are always starting and be their best friends, but it's important that, you know, that the players that are on the outside were just as important and maybe going to make 15 appearances out of 38 games. They feel that strength and they feel that connection with the group and, and uh, are happy with their role. And I think that's what coaching and management is. Um, and so over the season, there's, there's many things that can come and trip you up and bumps in the road. And I think what we've done as a staff is we've grown together as well. I think that's fair to say that, you know, the longer you are together and, and you, you stay strong in your convictions or your ideas, the better you get at delivering it. And that's what I think we, we've done well this year. You speak quite candidly, Vic, about group team, us and and that speaks volumes of who you are and having known you for a period of time now. But on a personal level, what have you learned about yourself? Because the challenges that you faced during the year, you've had, you've had road bumps and being extremely perceptive around some of the challenges. What is it that you've learned about yourself from coaching at Glasgow Rangers? I think I'm at my best when I'm extremely busy. Um, and I'm all in. I think the winning is a consequence of being true to yourself and being relentless in your beliefs. What I've learned is that you shouldn't never stop short because when you're, you have some of your biggest disappointments, which I did um, last season, I was in a tough place. You know, the biggest achievement could be just around the corner. You know, I think you have to, you have to find ways to keep believing in the work that you're doing and keep, you know, and keep the wheels in motion and moving forward. So what I've learned for myself is I always write at the start of every season, always be positive, always be creative. Because I think in the, if you are like that, in the tough moments when the decisions need to be made that are going to be the difference between you being successful or not, if you have that positive and that creativity as a mindset, you're more likely to take that risk or that chance to win. And I don't ever want to be someone that's not willing to take a risk to win because I think that's what this is all about. It's about making big decisions. So what I've learned for myself this year is that, 
you know, you have to manage your energy, but I'm certainly at my best when um, the games are thick and fast and the training's thick and fast. And I'm at my best when I have to make big decisions. And, and I enjoy that part of football. You know, I enjoy sharing my opinion strongly when I believe we should be doing something um, that's going to help us win. So uh, I know that sometimes with the people that work around me, I can be a bit relentless, but relentless is a word that we use at Rangers. It's a word that, that our manager um, stands for and uses a lot, and it fits quite true to my own values and beliefs. On that, Mick, so to be relentless, you've got to have real solid beliefs about your own ability. But equally, you've got to have trust or you've got to create an element of trust for people to listen to that, to listen to the voice. What have you done to be able to establish that over this period of time? No, I think some, you need some things to go for you. You need to have made some decisions in games or, 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 or you know, made some selections or asked a player to do something that's come off. So you're buying little tokens of, of trust and respect every single day. And... And that's it. And I think that's why we like to work in small units. So, you know, we break up the team in, in different units. You go in, you have individual chats, you have small group chats. And what is it all about? It's about clarity. It's about, it's about believing in something and working towards it. It's about going on a journey. And um, I think when you, you, all, you all buy into a vision and you all go on the journey, you can win or you can lose, but you can't fail for moving forward. You know, like, because if everyone buys into it, it's quite strong. You know, it's quite a strong thing. And, and, and that's where I would praise the players. There's been many a time this season where I've stood in front of the group and the manager has, and we thanked them. We thanked them for their effort. We thanked them for their focus. We thank, thanked them for their commitment to the game plan and the commitment to the messages because we know that, that, it's, that sometimes that's rare in football, um, but we know that it's essential to, to doing well. And I think we have a group that's extremely honest. Are they the best team in the world? Um, in terms of individual ability. No, they play at Rangers. They're all very, very good players. But together, when they really come together and they focus and commit to, to a game plan or to a call, then I think they can be formidable. And I think that's what we've seen this year. I think we've seen a group that's really happy playing together. Um, Jermaine Defoe received the recognition award on the awards night on Monday night. And he spoke about playing in a lot of changing rooms in his career but that this one was unique and special because there was a, it was a feeling amongst the players. I'm extremely proud that he said that because that's it. You know, you have to have a sense of belonging and, and pride in, and, and you have to share in others. And sometimes in sport, especially in sports where people are paid a lot of money, that's not always present or easy to get. So I, I think the team's the superstar. I wasn't, we had a players in the team of the year, players winning the, the football rioters and the players player and, and the player of the year in Scotland. And I don't know, I felt a little bit awkward when I saw the nominations because it was like pulling your sons apart, if that makes sense. And I was a bit, I felt a little bit awkward when the trophies were being handed out because I think the team won this and I think that's it. I don't think any one player stood out from anybody else. I thought we had a group of players, a strong core of eight or nine that were simply outstanding I'm going to ask the same question but from a, a staff point of view so you you said previously when if you strongly believed something you would you respectfully voice your opinion so when you you're working with the manager and with the other staff 
how do you go about that and voicing your opinion without it being seen to be trying to challenge what's going on? No, I think that we make a decision as a group wholeheartedly when we're in a room, you know, before we face the players, when we're in the room, it's our job to pick holes in the game plan. It's our job to pick holes in a team selection. It's our job to pick holes in each other in the work that we do because that's us being relentless as a staff. That's us all in going the extra mile. I think what we have to do when you come out of that room and you stand in front of your group or you speak outwards is that you show unity. You know, there's one manager and then there's a, there's assistants. And I think our manager is very unique in taking the opinions on. Just on a personal level with me, I think he's absolutely outstanding in terms of enabling me to breathe and bring what I can bring to the team. So I, I'm very thankful. I don't think there's another manager I could work under that would give me the same amount of responsibility. I think with, uh, you know, the responsibility is big, and you have to earn it every day, of course. But I'm in a position with um, with the guys that I work with where I think we can be extremely honest to each other every day. You know, we stay at the training ground after training for hours on end, drinking tea and unfortunately eating too many biscuits. But we sit in front of the TV and we just talk. We talk things through maybe a little bit too much. But what we, what we get from it is real clarity in the way that we're working. And anybody can bring an idea into the group. And we know that during a season, a crazy idea in July can be your reality in February because of injuries and stuff like that. So, you know, in the last two games this season, we had to play our number 10 at left back because we had no players left for the last two games. Now, if you'd have suggested that in August or, or, or September, you'd have been laughed out of the room. But that was the reality in April and May. And, and we won the last two games by seven goals to nil. So it does show you that things happen in a season and uh, um, I think the biggest thing is are you an ideas club or not and I do think in a football club the the level of your conversation generally goes on the pitch so if your conversations are great within a club uh, I certainly had that when I was at Liverpool Academy as well I felt the level of the conversations I was having with people every day was starting to show itself on the pitch that positivity that creativity that initiative um you do start to see it in your players as well because it's streaming out of you as a staff. So, no, uh, I don't feel worried about sharing and I'm paid to give my opinion as well, David. If I didn't, I'd be letting the side down, I think. Mm. When you talk about that side of it, Mick, where you, you sit for hours on end, you're organising, you're planning for the next session, the next game, what's coming up. Moving forward, now when you are sitting down to plan and to organise, what do you do to establish what that next session is going to look like or what it needs to look like for the game that's coming up? I think you have to feel the group and the moment. So you have, you have to know, obviously, what's needed and what's coming with the next game. Um, but you also have to know what's wanted as well. So there's a give and take there. Do you know what I mean? You need to feel... Uh, and you need to get your planning right. You need to look at your schedule as well, and you need to see uh, when you can train hard, when you can't train, what you think uh, the next two or three games might look like, the problems. So you look for some trends. So I try to combine a lot of things. The most important thing is to make sure football's being played, that it's fun and specific to everyone involved. So there's got to be something that's individual to a certain player in terms of something they love or they're working on. 
And that's why there's always that individual aspect. I think it's got to be fun and it's got to be varied. So we very rarely repeat the same practice. We repeat the same scenario, just in a different way. Um, but I think feeling the moment and the group is vitally important. And that's why, you know, when you go on coaching courses and you get judged on, you know, 442 playing out from the back of a group of kids you've never met, it's the most unrealistic thing in the world because coaching is about relationships and feeling. So, you know, they, I do like the fact now that the FA go into a club and see a coach working in their environment with their players because that's what it's about, isn't it? You know, like uh, most people could tell you the fundamentals of playing out from the back against two strikers with your back four. It is the unique qualities of your players that make there's going to be a certain way that your team does it that's slightly different to everybody else's. And so that's it. I think, you know, you have to feel the group, what's needed and what's wanted. What do the players want to be doing? and What do you feel they need to be doing? So it's them want and needs and just, and just putting them together and packaging them in a really, in a way that you'd want to play in. That's the easiest way for me to explain it. Like, don't do anything you wouldn't want to play in yourself because the player in you is coming out as a coach. I mean, you've been coaching quite a long time now. You've coached at all levels. You've coached grassroots. You've coached foundation phase players. You've, you're now working at Glasgow Rangers. For over your period of, of time, how has your coaching evolved whilst still maintaining those values and beliefs that you've, you live by? I don't think it's really changed, but as I grow, uh, I'm certainly able to explain my ideas in less words and with more clarity. And I think that's probably how I've grown the most as a coach. I'm still as excitable as ever. I'm still as passionate as ever, as energetic as ever. I'm still as demanding as ever. But I think I, I've got to a stage where I can really articulate myself well about things that are really important to the team. So I don't use coaching jargon. And I try to remove the fluff and I try to get back to that, that human element of, you know, and, and at first team level is about collaboration. And so, you know, getting people to buy in the ideas to give them a vision of how they're going to play their role in it. So I think for me, the, where I've improved over the years is less words um, to get to the clarity. So you might be getting feedback from your peers but you mentioned about communication. It's a big word, isn't it? It's quite broad, but very extensive and quite detailed. But where you're able to be quite precise with what you're saying now, and having known you, you, you you're articulate anyway, but where do you get your feedback from to know that you've got to either be a little bit more succinct, a little bit more direct? Is anybody in your life providing you that, or is that something that you self-reflect on? No, I always speak to the staff after, you know, if we stand up and do a presentation in front of the group for the next game, I'll always take feedback from the staff. I'll speak to the players, not all the players, certain players, just to check in to see where they're at. Senior players, players that I think have seen a lot of coaches and management where we at. you know, our manager has a leadership group. That's always a good reference point. Um, but I think you get feedback from your eyes as well. So I think you see... Um, if you've made something a little bit more difficult than what it needs to be, or if the session's not flowing as well, or if your message was a little bit out of tone to the moment, I think you see it. 
because when you live with it's a bit like you know in your family home isn't it like with your children and your wife you know if you if you've made a comment or you've you've done something maybe you shouldn't do or you've come home a little bit late from the pub there's a way of people letting you know that you've 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 made a arse of yourself and i think that's the same with football clubs as well because you're there a lot you're there more than you're in your house so i'd like to think that i'm reading the signs um and also every three days at rangers you play a game so when you play a game you're getting instant feedback from that game so you know if you're winning in terms of your messages and your ideas you're putting across because they're either being successful fully semi or or not being successful at all and i think the biggest thing is is not is not being too shy to admit you were wrong occasionally, whether that be at half-time, whether that be at full-time, whether that be in the days after a game, to admit that, you know, okay, I tried that, lads, and, and that was wrong. And that's fine. I'm willing to do that because I'm all in. So it's just not about me. It's about, it's about us fulfilling what we had to fulfil this year. In that, Mick, you talk about the seeing, hearing feeling and it's so obvious not just from this conversation but previous conversations that we have that you've got the art of observation and you're attuned to not just your your feelings and your senses and what's going on in your world but what's going on in other people's world too and how did that develop I mean over time has that increased or do you feel that you've always had the ability to observe and, and understand where people are at in the room? I think um, I've always had an empathy for people. I started off as an individual coach and that sort of stayed with me when I was at Chelsea. But when I got to Liverpool and took the under-23s, under-23s is an open door group. You know, boys can get released, they can get sold, they can get loaned out, they can go to the first team for a few days. If they're still young, they can jump down to the youth team. And it was the first time I coached a group that was in a team. The exit routes were, doors were open everywhere. And I realised I needed to be a bit more of a life coach and, you know, to, to get the players to buy into me as a coach. Training, the, the training was the easy part. But to go to the next level, I had to understand them. I had to understand why they played, their culture as well. That was a big thing with foreign players. And so I did a little bit of work on myself around them areas um, about seeing it in other people's shoes and how I bring that together. And then I went to Brazil, obviously worked in the second language and, and learned a little bit more about the South American culture there. And then I came here to Rangers and, you know, there's the culture of the individual, there's the culture of the club, there's the culture of the moment. And I think um, you're trying to get everybody to come together, which is a really, really complex thing. I think our manager is fantastic at it because that's what he does. He stands back from the group and he observes people and he gets a different view to me who's right in the fix of it, coaching. Um, that's just generally why the session's taking place. But during the building, around the building every day, the way, the best way I think you can do it is by spreading yourself out. So if you want to be, you know, the power freak, the king of the 30 players, I think you're going to fall short. If you empower four or five lieutenants, your goalie coach, two or three assistants, your head of sports science, your psychologist, to all be able to go in and what I call, like, as I said before, like water in the grass, everything comes back to you because you're the manager or you're the coach. And I think that's the way of observing, listening, 
being there for people. And that, this year has been interesting for people in all walks of life because of that, because I think the COVID and the lockdown situation has seen a lot of family or close friends go through some tough times. So I think that we're all understanding that this year, that you need someone to listen to or to talk to. And I think it's important you don't let things fester. So it all really came to me when I was doing the under 23s, where I had a load of young kids who were very hormonal, very talented, so close to getting to where they wanted to be, but yet felt so far away. And I just felt I needed to listen to them to help them. And I think that about a lot of young people in general, school leavers, I think are crying out to be listened to and to be given opportunities to be the best version of themselves. So you just take all that development and you take that into a first team setting. That was what I wanted to do as a youth coach. And that's what I'm slowly fulfilling. I'm only three years or four seasons into being a first team coach. But I don't feel I've changed too much. I, I speak to the academy manager at Liverpool about that a lot. I'm just that under-23s coach now, working with players five or six years older. I haven't really changed. Um, I love the idea that a group is unique. So you might want to play the same 4 3, three. you play in one club at the next club. It will never be the same because it's, the players are different and they bring their own unique qualities. And you need to keep feeding that every single day. Because they're the ones that play, David. You give them a roadmap to how they might win, but they're playing the game. So it's about uh, empowering them. And, and I've learned that not from a book. I've just learned that through trial by error. Um, you know, and you've got some things right and you've got some things wrong. But the years I had as a youth coach helped me massively. I, If I was an ex-player, 36, coming out, going into my first job, I'd know the game. I don't think I'd know all that. Obviously, uh, being very close to the deck and understanding how people operate, listening to them purely and exploring deeply in their responses, but being tuned in to what's actually happening in front of you, Mick, endears you to the players that you work with. Now, you've obviously been successful over your period of time in coaching. Now, it's defining what's meant by that. But what are the ingredients from your perspective of a winning team? Because you've obviously just been working with one. And when you come back in next season, it's the start of something fresh and everything's different. What are the ingredients of winning for you, Mick? I think for a winning team, I think whenever a team has won over a, a period of, a, of 38 games like we did, I think it's the commitment to a common cause. I think everyone's committing to that cause. Uh, I think it's the commitment to being the best version of yourself, you first as a player, and then the team and then the club and staying focused on that every day. It's having that vision of what we are at our best and buying into it. I think you self-police as well. I think the best teams have a self-policing policy in the changing room because what they're trying to do is they're trying to take that energy um, and that focus and keep it on a consistent basis, regardless of bumps in the road. I think that takes good leadership and also empathy for each other because not everyone's going to have great days. But I think what you're looking for is everyone to be at eight, eight and a half, nine, as much as possible. And then there's a lot of trust, I think, in winning teams. I think there's a lot of trust in each other um, in big moments. And there's a lot of trust in the way that you play and there's a lot of trust in the decision makers because like most things, if you make a decision in football to play a certain way or a sub, 
the only way for it to be successful is if everyone gives it a right good go, Keith. Do you know what I mean? Like, if, you know, you make a decision as a coach um, and people don't give it a good go, whether it was a good decision or not, it will foul. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's that. It's that. I think, I think the common calls, in my experience this year, outweighed everything else. Everyone bought into what the end goal needed to look like. And there was no way out. So we applied ourselves to that. Of course, winning teams have high-quality performing uh, athletes, so good players always help. So I'm not going to say you can't win without good players, but you, you, you can lose with good players if, it's not, if there's not a bond between them. There's not a, there's not a vision. There's not a common um, you know, idea of how you should play the game. And I think that that's what we have. We have a real strong identity of, of, of who we are at our best and therefore, that's what we judge ourselves on, you know. So, a bounce of a ball or a referee decision here or there um, is irrelevant, really, because was we the best version of ourselves? So, we try to keep that very, very simple, um, so that we can everyone can constantly understand what is the best version of our team, and was we that? And then we can accept winning and losing around it. You know, we lost in. We lost three games in 56 this year. It's made me extremely frustrated because the three games we lost knocked us out of three competitions. Um, but in all three games, we wasn't the best version of ourselves. So I'm not saying it was easy to accept, but we le at least we know how we can fix it. Now, stepping away from success with the team, success with the group, for you personally, so for Mick Beal, what does success look like? Well, I don't play, David, do I? So for me, success is actually seen in the fulfilling of others people's dreams and happiness that football can bring to them. So that's how I define it. When I see other people flowing and shining and happy and achieving, then as a guide, I'm, I know I'm having an impact. Um, so for me, it's that. If I stop to think about myself, I have so much that I want to achieve yet. Um, and I just want to keep pushing the boundaries because I don't think I've got into the deep end. I don't think I've struggled yet. So I'm harsh at times because I don't take anything in. You know, and the people around me are saying, take this in, just be happy with this achievement. But this achievement was, was what I expected to happen. So uh, I, I look at success in like a player like Ryan Kent, who I've worked with since he was 15. I see him shining and starting to fulfill what I thought he had. And I feel like I've played a, a, a small part in that. So that brings me success. On a personal level, I don't know. It's too early. I'm 40. If you ask me the same question in 25 years, I hope I've got an answer for you because there's so much more I want to do. I'm not willing to allow myself to take anything in now. Um, what we've just done, maybe not the unbeaten part, but the winning of the league, was what I expected to happen, and I expected it to happen earlier than what it did. So although I'm happy about it, I just want to keep moving, mate, is the honest answer to that. Well, we'll, uh, 25 years time, Mick, we'll be back on here. We'll ask you the same question again. <laughs> well, I look forward to it. So I reckon, Bear, what David's actually sharing there. But look, you mentioned about the deep end. What does that look like for you? So again, you speak of quite openly that success watching others gather and gain that and then get improvements so you're meeting their needs 
But what does a deep end look like? What is it? What is that? What is it for you? Oh, at some uh, at some stage, when the time's right, I need to challenge myself at, at a different level. I'll need to challenge myself by standing on my own two feet as a manager in my own right. I'll need to stand on my own two feet outside of the UK because that's a dream to do. Um, again, in a second language and to change people's perceptions of English coaches because I think we're slowly doing it, but I still want us to push on more. Um, and at some stage, I want to return to youth for sure and be the head of an academy just purely because um, I feel that for the experience that I had going for all the age groups and the love I've got for development and seeing people kick on, I think at some stage I'd like to use all of that to, to mentor coaches and players within one club. I think it's very hard to mentor loads at the same time that you're not seeing on a daily basis. But I would like to return to youth at some stage. But the biggest thing for me is still I haven't fulfilled that that dream of being a manager and being a manager outside the UK. So at some stage, I'd like to get to the stage where I've got that offer sat in front of me so I can make that decision because whether I took it or not, that would be success in some way that um, whether it's a Dutch club, a German club, a French club, a Portuguese, whatever country around the world it is that they see enough in a young English coach to give them the opportunity to come and lead their team. Because in England, we do that every week. Every month we do that. And I don't see enough of our coach having that opportunity. So I love culture and football, the two together. It's, it's, um, it's magnificent. So at some stage, um, I'll get back to that. But at the moment, I'm extremely happy. And I think, you know, you can't look too far ahead. Of course, I've got aims and dreams, but I didn't know that I would have ended up in Brazil and then back at Liverpool and, and just won a title for, uh, I'll be part of a winning team at Rangers. So, it's funny where it goes. I'd, I'm just happy to be in the game and moving forward, Keith. Off the back of the bit, you mentioned, Mick, about academy managers, young players, and, and how you love the development. For, for young players at all ages, I guess, through, through the academy system, so that they get a balanced diet, what, what ingredients do they need to meet the demands of, of the game and of life? Um, I think training should always be about clarity and improvement. Um, so both individual and group things are, are really important. Um, when you train the first team, there's certain player qualities you need to play your style. There's certain team qualities you want your team to portray, either keeping clean sheets or keeping possession. And then there's a lot of what-if scenarios. What if we're losing 1-0? What if they play three at the back or four? What if they play two up front or one? What if we're down to 10 men or they're down to 10 men? What if the weather's windy or whatever? So there's loads of little things. I think when you're talking about putting a session on for young players, you have to have uh, flow. The session must flow. It mustn't be too stop-start. It's flowing. It's got to be specific, fun, compared, all them keywords. Ultimately, I think it's got to speak to the players' hearts and why they play football. So in everything I plan, I try to plan around them things. You're trying to enhance someone's love for the game and their their relationship with the ball so you have to understand why they play but in short something specific something competitive competitive something that makes them think outside the box 
something that's physically challenging. I think a lot of coaching I see is not physically challenging. I don't see enough young kids breathing when they're training. See it all a little bit safe. And therefore, I think staying close to the game is really important. Uh, I, I see no harm in starting the game and coming out of it to end with a game. I see no harm in playing the small games that are in the big game, whether it's 1v1, 2v1, 3v2, 2v2. Um, but I love flow, you know, and, and I love personality because I think it's someone's son or daughter and they're in your session, and whether that's uh, a Stephen Davis at 36, that he's someone's son. And when they, he comes to play football, he's still, for me, that 10-year-old not that guy that's played 144 internationals. And so it's me speaking to the 10-year-old, you know, making it specific for David, making it competitive, making it a, uh, making a session flow so there's a nice feeling to it. Um, and I think you can play around with time. You don't need to train for 90 minutes. You can train for 45 just as well, as long as you get your content well and the feeling. Um, but, yeah, I think, like in most, um, you know, most professions, some people have a knack and an art of doing it and other people can learn it. Um, but for me, I would always go on like, know why the players are coming to training, whether they're seven or 27, they want to play the game and they want to learn something and they want to do something they enjoy and something that's specific for them. And by nature, football players love competition. So the easiest way is to play the game and be very specific in your messaging, I would say. A close link to your previous answers, Mick. If you were to write a magic list of what, what an effective coaching session looks like, what would be on your list? What would be those little bullet points, those little gems of or pearls of wisdom that you would share or be on that list? Flow, the, session, the way the session flows, competition, fun, comes hand in hand, specific, so specific to individuals, specific to the group, specific to their learning needs, um, physically challenging. I think the best sessions are when people are breathing and they're having to find another level for themselves. Um, I would say, you know, bullet points. I like people working, so staff around it because there's a feeling, isn't there? With that flow, there's a feeling. Ball rolling, that's a key word that would be in there. Um, and I suppose noise. I'm going to say noise because I always think a good session has flow, ball rolling, noise. If I, if I walk past a, a kid's game, and I'm not hearing noise or a kid's session, I'm not hearing noise, whether, you know, I'm not talking about the coach bellowing out. I mean, players' noise, whether that's celebration, laughter. I think you have to just, I think people take it too far. I think just go back to when you was a 9, 10, 11-year-old yourself and try and recreate that with older players because ultimately that's the essence of the game. That's where we all started. As you go on, yeah, someone becomes an international and he becomes uh, very wealthy and a millionaire, but the essence that's inside him is that boy that played football because he loved chasing that that bag of air around. And I think you've got to get back to that, that relationship with a player and a ball. So that's not me saying, oh, you should do 15 minutes of this and 15 minutes that. I think that's all by the way. You'd have a philosophy in your club. We do 15 minutes ball each and we do, I think all of that's good. We do 
20 minute technical and then we have 30 minute go. I think all of that is, is how you choose what's right for your environment. I think principles of what a good session should look like are some of the things I just said there. I think the ball rolling, flow, noise in the session, specific, fun, challenging, competitive. It all brings me back to, Keith, the game. And that's why I'm horrified when I see so many coaches trying to recreate the game in so many difficult practices with rules. Because football's quite simple. Tack and defend the goal, even teams, one ball. There you go. You're often playing. You know, pick up games are the best games. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I would... I would I would always say to a coach, work backwards. If you've got an hour, well, how long do you want the kids to play football, right? 30 minutes, right? Well, you've got 30 minutes then. So don't bugger up the 30 minutes or the 30, your 30 minutes or the 30 minutes at the end lack energy. You, can you arrive there in a good place? And I do think that you learn via inspiration. If you can add detail to the inspiration, great. If you've only got detail and you can't inspire, terrible. So we go back to being in that classroom, listening to a subject you don't like. Mine was science, for example, at school. Of course, the teacher was giving me detail, but I wasn't inspired by the way they were giving it to me. So it never stuck. So I'll go back to my favorite coach when I played, being my school teacher, Malcolm Rollinson, his name was, a Leeds fan working down in South London in Bromley. He just gave me responsibility. He, I knew that he... I had his back in, he thought I was a good player, but he made me take responsibility and I, he always backed me. And if he had to give me a good clip around the ear or a bit of a rollicking, he did it in private. But it was always about responsibility and standards. He didn't really teach me where to stand, where to run, how to kick the ball, but he taught me more than anybody else because it was inspirational for me. Um, and I'm eternally thankful for him for that. So what I'm getting at is if you can inspire people, and add detail, you're a good coach. If you can only give detail, but not in an inspiring way, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Not not with young kids anyway. As always, it's been absolutely fantastic. But I've got one more question for you. Is there anything in the game that you're really inspired to want to learn more about? I would say the last few years, culture and how different nations and people around the world see the game. And that's what fascinates me the most. It's why I want to work in as many different environments as I can. That's what I'm chasing. That's what fascinates me. Uh, and you can bring all that together to make a fluid team. Um, I think that's why every team is so unique because um, it's about the players and how they bring their unique qualities into your team to make it um, fluid and make it a winning, uh, a winning team. So I think culture, and I've been... I was probably fascinated four or five years ago about understanding people. And then it gets a little bit deeper. It's understanding culture and why that person thinks that way. And, and I think that's the beauty of the clubs that I've worked at as they've given me opportunities to work with players from different parts of the world. And that's what's opened that up. I think you can get a little bit carried away as a young coach with tactics um, and tactics is just basically organisation and, and the players will give you a, 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 a number of options or limited options depending on the level of the player you work at but people being able to 
um, inspire people and get people to buy into a cause and how they see the game is what fascinates me because I think the game in the UK is very unique to the UK. And my experience in Brazil, just in different types of people from South America was fascinating as it was working with um, Sergi Canios, Pedro Chirivella from Spain when I was back at the academy, Jeremy Boga working at Chelsea was from France and and Alfredo Morelos now from Colombia and, and learning a little bit about the, the culture at Glasgow Rangers and demands and the history that, that forces a certain culture at Rangers. That was different from Chelsea and, and Liverpool and Sao Paulo. So culture and how different people see the game, that fascinates me because ultimately as a coach, if you're going to be successful, then you're going to work in a multicultural changing room. That's how I suppose you would determine if you're a successful coach because Teams in League One and League Two don't have multinational changing rooms. They might have a changing room from the UK plus one or two from outside. If you start getting at the higher echelons of football, both in academy setting and first team setting, then you're going to deal with a really diverse changing room with a lot of cultures and a lot of um, different ways of seeing the game coming together. So in preparing myself, hopefully for them days, um, that's what I'm chasing, mate. It's, uh, as always, it's been a pleasure. It's been great having you back on. I think, like we said, there'll be, there may be some more 25 years time. There'll be, there'll be another episode coming out, but from, from the both of us, we want to congratulate you and everybody that's, that's involved at Glasgow Rangers for the success that you've had this season and for all the things that you've achieved and really all the lives that you've impacted along the way. So congratulations from us. We're excited to keep following you along your journey. And um, I'm sure there's sure there's a lot more to come from Michael Beale. I really appreciate it, lads. Thanks for the time. It was um, really good to catch up. Thanks for tuning in to the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast, and also you can visit our website at the Gold Dust Coach. Dot com. Thank you, everybody.